Uh, hey folks, this is Tim. Um, we're going to start the podcast a little differently today. And um, and just for a couple minutes here, we want to hold space for those uh, who were killed last week. And for their families, and their friends, their communities, and everyone who is mourning their deaths. Uh, Mike is on the road, heading down to Tennessee right now to teach. I wanted to invite my wife, Shauna, onto the podcast to share a little bit of the conversations that we have been having at home and uh, that she has been having in the classroom with her students. Um, so, but first, uh, Shauna's going to read the names of the people who were killed as a way for us to uh, begin holding space for them. Xiao J. Tan, Dao Yofeng, Sun Chang Park. Soon Chuck Kim, Hyung Yoon Grant, Yong Ai Yu, Delena Ashley Yan, Paul Andre Michaels. And one of the things that we have been talking quite a bit about in our house, and, and let's preface this by saying we're not, obviously, we're not claiming a place of being experts on this topic or that we have any solutions or um, we've been having a lot of conversations about dehumanization about what that looks like um, how that manifests you know there's a lot of information that we whenever something like this happens that we get bombarded with from um, all sides of the media all sides of the opinion spectrum and whether or not this was a purely motivated uh, racial hate crime or whether or not this kid was uh, just all messed up from um, being uh, grown up in evangelical culture and trying to reconcile um, sexual shame and that kind of stuff. Regardless of all of that, uh, we have a a pretty long history of uh, dehumanization in this country, especially from white men, speaking just for myself and uh where the, the systems that I've grown up in and, and white men have specifically had a exoticized, um, have made um, Asian women into kind of a, an, exo an exoticized fetish uh, for a long time, taking away agency and, and any humanization that they have and turning them into something, um, turning them into, you know, for lack of a better term, an object. I think that we're talking about one person who killed all of these people and we're watching um, at least one example of a police officer using language like had a bad day um, and that that is not what you would see if this was not a white man who had committed this crime and the recognition that even the way that we see this crime happen because it's a white man is different than the way we see a crime happen if it isn't a white man, if it isn't somebody who's been just given and who has continued to take and um, have power in this country. And regardless of whether you agree or disagree with the, these being um, hate crimes, um, and you think that it's just uh, this this young man's 
issues with uh, sex addiction and shame or whatever, um, even if you don't agree with this being a hate crime, you know, there has been a, a huge uptick in Asian hate crimes and Asian hate rhetoric over the last few years. And that's just a statistic. That's just numbers. Um, B, the way that most of our um, uh, Asian friends and people from our community, they, they have they have received this as a hate crime. They have internalized these things that way, and they get to define this. We don't. Um, and so um, one of the conversations that we wanted to have was, or we have been having, is just about dehumanization in general. And um, and I, Shauna, you've been talking about this with your students in your classes through most of these incidents, not just this, but most of the... Um, you know, one thing that stood out to me with this one in particular, um, as our English team at our high school was just talking through how we would handle this with um, students at our school, one of the things that stood out to all of us was that none of us felt confident in saying the names um, of the people who were killed correctly. And that's something that we've been talking about all school year, um, that we have a pretty diverse population. Um, about 40% of our students are white and the rest of our students are not white. And um, all three of us teachers are white. And so um, we know how to stay stereotypical white names correctly and we're learning how to say the names of many of our students correctly um, we're also noticing that many of our students give us a nickname very quickly that they know we can say correctly in order to let us off the hook to learn their name and that's one example of dehumanization of how our culture um, can very easily push that onto onto people that are um, citizens of this country and part of this country and so I waited in a whole extra day to talk about this because I was so nervous to say their names out loud and get a name wrong. Um, and I have lots of students in my classes who speak two or three languages and um, are very incredible um, with language and with names. And so we shared um, uh, some quotes from a Brene Brown article called um, dehumanization always begins with language. And so I'll just read a few of the sentences that we shared with our students. Dehumanization is a process. It's the psychological process of demonizing the enemy, making them seem less than human and hence not worthy of humane treatment. Dehumanization has fueled innumerable acts of violence, human rights violations, war crimes, and genocides. It makes slavery, torture, and human trafficking possible. It often starts with creating an enemy image. It always starts with language and it's often followed by images. And so that's just something that we've been talking about in our classes this year as we um, have been reading different books is what are examples of where we're using dehumanizing language and we're not even realizing it. And um, it's been helpful. It, it was helpful to have had that conversation all year in order to be able to hold space um, for the victims in this crime um, as a class together. This is the conversations that we have been having, and we wanted to make space for this on the podcast this week. And, um, and you know, 
uh, Mike and I have been talking a lot about how much we've just been grieving through a lot of these different things, how much grief we feel. Um, we've talked about lament quite a bit on the podcast as well, and the idea of um, the Jewish act of holding Shiva in grief with one another and sitting with one another in grief and um, trying to understand that these were human lives, that these were folks that were made in the image of God, whose lives were taken from them. I think as um, as people who like love discussing things, love discussing ideas, love discussing topics, I think it's very easy, at least for me, um, and in talking to Tim and knowing some of Tim's and Mike's conversations, it's easy for us to go so quickly to um, talking about um, what happened and what I love about this idea of holding space um, are a couple of the things that it uh, demands or expects, and that's um, taking away devil's advocacy and whataboutisms and replacing those with empathy and compassion, leaning into community and centering those in need, prioritizing physical, mental, and emotional presence over judgment. So, so much of this is about... Um breaking cycles and unwiring culture. And um, as Christians, as a white Christian man um, who grew up in evangelical culture, uh, um, so much of our culture was built on us versus them. And it's got to stop. The whitewashing of Christianity has got to stop. The shame culture has got to stop. We want to be a people that are known by our love, not our hate. We want to be a people that are known by community, not isolation. We want to be a people that are known for diversity, for inclusion, not segregation. We want to be a people that are known as center-focused, not boundary focused. So the last thing that we want to do here is just pause and hold a little space for these victims, for these for these people whose lives were taken. Um, we're just going to put a little piece of silence in here, and then um, we'll pick back up with our, our topic for today.
have, as always, um, some people who uh, I need to thank for joining us on the Patreon team. Um, I mean, this really, it's its really inc- incredible that we have people every week. So Ellen, who we're going to meet here in a second, joined the Patreon team. Wesley, who I think I know and am friends with. Brian joined the Patreon team. And Karen. And Keith. Um, oh, my goodness. Guys, <laughs> just thank you. This means so much, and it's so helpful. So we appreciate... Um, all of all of that the the material support of course helps um but just that that you believe in in kind of what we're all doing together so thank you for that um you can go to patreon and hit uh, or search vox podcast with mike erie you can go to voxpodcast.com which is being refreshed um and uh there you go anyway um today we have we have nothing controversial to talk about just a bit of christian nationalism It'll be glorious. Oh boy! Um, but but that relationship between how we as Jesus followers relate to the world around us is the subject of one of the best questions we've ever gotten <laughs> in the Vox podcast, and it is it is worthy of response. Um, this is from Ellen, and she gave us permission to read some of this uh, on here, and she sent it. Like, this is a master class on how to push back on something. Um, it's so great. And so before we get to our topic, uh, it, which relates to our topic, I want to read there. I mean, her, her email is so thoughtful and so articulate that, I mean, it's so good. It deserves to be read in full. It's like an I'm essay. Gonna, it's like a published it is, essay it is. response. It, and it's really, I mean, it's really good. And, and she raises such great counters to something I was going off about. And so, um, anyway, this is the best way. Uh, so I'm, I'm cherry picking and she has nuances that I'm, I'm, I just don't have time to fit in and like, it's really well done, but there are a couple of things here that I just want to go, okay, this is where I'm, I have questions. All right. So she says some nice things, um, which, (laughs) and then she says, which brings me to the sticky point. Uh, I know you welcome challenges, so I'm being bold to level one for you, or level one at you for the March 8th discussion of how we're engaged with the state. Um, this week, my blood pressure rose as I declared, Paul just tells churches to f- fidelity. He doesn't call them to influence culture. He calls them to fidelity to their witness, and that's how they influence culture, unquote. She's quoting me there. She says, and later quoting me again a revitalized this is like inception st- it's you quote you quoting her quoting you oh. we're three levels deep yeah and and did the did the top keep spinning i don't at this point um, it's still going it's still going so she's quoting me uh she, <laughs> you're screwing this up <laughs> sorry uh um <laughs> I say a revitalized state is not the goal of freaking Jesus following. The goal of Jesus following is a revitalized church. That's it. There is no effing mandate ever to reform the state. <laughs> so evidently I was fired up during that little section. Her response in her email, I call BS. <laughs> My Good. goodness, what a transition right there. First of all, doesn't she realize the uh, the just insipid authority 
by being two male white middle-aged podcasters that we're <laughs> that we just should be presumed right always i mean come on no the it's so good she says i call bs is not the work of bringing god's kingdom here on earth exactly that it is true that the evangelical movement has done a very poor job of engaging with culture your comment decrying anything to do with taking back the culture for christ is spot on um but i think you missed an opportunity to highlight the breadth and depth of kingdom work in the world the seven mountain mandate may be a poor metaphor but that doesn't make it a bad theory and unwise or even disastrous attempts at realizing it in the world don't invalidate its merits. And then she quotes David French in that article. Um, early, David says it's a concept that has its uses, but also uh, wants to comprehensively. But, uh, and if Christians, I'm so bad. It's, uh, okay, suck face. <laughs> early on, he says it's a concept that has its uses, but it's also subject to profound abuse. He also follows that later with, if Christians want to be salt and light in the world, they should want to comprehensively cultivate true biblical values in American culture. He goes on to highlight the primary pitfall, which is the temptation to achieve the desired result through means of power and political or cultural controlled. It's not that we're not called to influence those spaces like government, business, or family, but that we should not seek to conquer and rule instead of working to transform them from the inside out and the bottom up. She quotes an author, Landa Cope, from uh, a book. She, she chose eight domains to study in her book, An Introduction to the Old Testament Template. Um, and there she says, promoting flourishing for all people, healthy communities, thriving businesses, and new scientific discoveries is kingdom work. And whatever way you choose to categorize it, is there any area of human life where we are not called to be doing this work? The foundation of the Old Testament template, she says she's only read about half, lines up with what Jesus said to uh, said himself about the Sermon on the Mount. He did not come to abolish the law to fulfill it. He did not need to come to teach us how to live. God had done that with the Israelites in the wilderness. They, they just hadn't remained faithful. If Jesus is not throwing out the Old Testament for the new, how then are we supposed to apply it? Miss Cope's premise is that God taught Israel how to be a nation, and Jesus' call is for us to go and disciple nations, teaching them God's way of being in the world, how to apply kingdom principles, not just in our individual lives and relationships and churches, but in our communities, schools, governments, and workplaces to bring about life as God intended. One last little paragraph. I submit the goal of following Jesus is not only a revitalized church, but of a revitalized family, community, society, state, and world. It is a call to promote human flourishing whenever we find opportunity, but the way in which we fulfill that calling matters. The Sermon on the Mount is an exhortation of how to fulfill our mission, but the mission remains the same, to make the kingdom of heaven a reality on earth. Um... Does God not have anything to say about how we run our businesses, structure our healthcare, govern our communities? And she quotes she quotes by quoting N.T. Wright, and who can argue with that? <laughs> so, first of all, Ellen, I know that was the most horrific read-through of a very articulate email in the history of the world. And secondly, I applaud the BS call. Absolutely. And thirdly, you raise so many great points um and 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 i can only highlight i mean there's so much i agree with 
Uh, but I just want to, for the sake of time, just respond to the bits where I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. So totally, um, the, the, the thing I was arguing that, and, and the objections you have are totally fair and valid. Absolutely. You're not out of left field at all to think these things and to have that pushback where I, so I have, I have several things first should the the kingdom life that we're invited into should that impact families and communities of course absolutely but i would argue that's not the goal that's the byproduct when that becomes the focus jesus's focus on the sermon on the mount isn't influencing anything other than israel to be israel and in israel was never instructed to teach the nations how to be the nations Israel was called to be, their job description is Exodus 19, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And their job was to embody fidelity to the one true God, not so that the other nations would learn what it means to have good government, but rather they would be enticed into the worship of Yahweh themselves. Good government was just a byproduct of that, never the focus. And when Jesus comes and he says he fulfills the Torah, you, you, you've you've mistaken something here, Ellen, and I just want to say it, uh, and this is a mistake I think a lot of people make. You equate the law with the Old Testament. The law, when Jesus says he's come to fulfill the law, that is the first five books of Torah. He is not coming to fulfill the Israelite mandate to be the kingdom of God on earth in a nation-state sense. So, and th this is a big deal. Anytime you try to draw lines from the theocracy uh, of Israel with Yahweh as its king to the modern nation state, I think we're making a category confusion, right? Israel's, Israel's purpose was not to be the, exempl uh, the exemplary nation state, not even remotely, not even remotely. In fact, a lot of God's instructions in the law were accommodations to their sinfulness, this was not the ideal nation state, right? And if you want more on that, we had an interview with Tim Mackey, I don't know, a couple hundred ep episodes ago that was killer mm -hmm. uh, on this. So, so I want to say, um, I want to say, I hear you. And if your pushback is, well, shouldn't the kingdom have impact in those arenas? Of course, absolutely. But it's the, it's not the focus and it's not the goal. It's the byproduct of kingdom people who first and foremost engage in the excavation of their own hearts in redeemed communities. So, so, so I'm going to say, well, I look at Israel and I don't see instructions to show the nations how there's no template for government there. That is not a, a, a valid hermeneutical move. So I would object even to the title, the Old Testament template. And when you say Jesus fulfilled the law, he's fulfilling Torah. He's showing how Torah is rightly interpreted. Um, Israel's job was to be faithful to the nations um, and to draw the nations in. So, so then I'm into the practice and example of Jesus. And I don't see anything in Jesus that even opens the door to um, influencing Rome and it's politics. I see nothing. Now you may object, yeah, but they're not in a democracy, which I think proves my point that there aren't parallels between Old Testament Israel and modern America that that have, exege have exegetical legs and support to run on. 
So, so you have the example and practice of Jesus. Then you have the example and practice of the church. Now, we've argued the kingdom is political and it has political implications, but it's so upside down in its politicalness. It's not right nor left, right? Nor religious, as we said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount series. And the example in the early church, of course, they're running afoul of governmental authorities, but what they're not doing is seeking to reform how healthcare was done. They were filling cracks of social justice. Mm-hmm. They weren't they weren't reforming Roman healthcare. They were actually just serving the poor directly. And it was that counter co- uh, community that served as such a compelling witness to the nations. When when the Roman healthcare fled the plagues, right? The Jesus people were rushing in. So, and then I look at Paul and I never see in Paul anything other than submit to the governing authorities. That's all I see. Everything, everything else in Paul is about how you structure the community of God. So, so I agree with you on, man, 85% of that, uh, of that email. I think it's brilliant and well-written and your val- and your concerns are super valid, but I get, I get, I, I just get real skeptical when we start looking at Old Testament Israel as a blueprint for the nations, I just don't, I don't think that's how it's presented in the scriptures. And when you try to say that Jesus fulfilled that, that means it still applies. No, it doesn't. Jesus was just fulfilling Torah. It was not the Old Testament, the Old Testament story of Israel that he's fulfilling. In fact, he is so clearly not fulfilling it that the last question asked of him by his disciples is, well, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? He's so clearly not done that. So, Ellen, all that is to say, because you are so articulate and uh, intelligent, I felt like this deserved uh, um, maybe not as as articulate or intelligent a response, but a full (laughs) and honest response, because as we're going to see in a second, I think, there are some traps. Now, there you're right to point out all the traps in my view. The traps in my view among them are, hey, well, then just we don't do anything. We just keep our head down. We don't engage culture. You know, all of that is secular. No, my goodness, I'm not saying that at all. No, the kingdom is political. You can't help but do politics. That's what doing church is. So that's a totally valid concern. It's also a valid concern that that we just um, try to remain out of the sticky business of human history and life. Hmm. That somehow, and it's also a valid concern that my view would simply lead people to think, okay, well, Jesus has nothing to say about business or medicine or whatever. I would agree with all of those critiques, but I would just want to point out, I think there are, there are pitfalls on your side as well that I think in our current climate run uh, that have a bit more danger attached to them as they're working themselves out in American culture. So Ellen, if you want to reply back, you will have the last word. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to just kind of give us a final paragraph, we'll read that on here and we'll, you have the last word on that, but my goodness, I I spent, I spent uh, a lot of time this week with your email in the back of my head (laughs) And that is the best compliment I can give was just, that was well done. So I hope I wasn't too forthright, but I, but I felt like you were bold and, and I wanted to be bold against, against the, some of the ideas. And so anyway, thank you for that. That is wonderful. Tim, anything you want to add to that whole convo? No, you nailed the, the thing that I thought first. 
which was whatever you said at the beginning. Now I'm just following along with you and <laughs> nodding my head. I I always think it's interesting if you play out if you play out Jesus coming back and let's say he did everything op- opposite of what he did. But like, you know, was a prominent business owner and tried to transform his community through that and then rose into politics and became a political leader to transform government and to and to fulfill the idea that he was coming to combat Rome or whatever. And when you play that all the way through, it's so interesting the way that the world operates, the mechanism of humanity and politics and government and business and community, the way we operate as humans, his ministry, I, I'm just playing it out in my own little head, seems awfully <laughs> um, like limited and like, you know what I mean? Like there's no version of the church trying to infiltrate and take these seats that ends well. We yes. see that end in these like theocratic uh, where people are like really persecuted on a major level or the church has to conform to an idea of government that it just doesn't, has right. never worked. It's so well, smart I, that we didn't do it, that we, <laughs> me and my buddy Jesus didn't do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, here's the other thing. So when when I think uh, she quotes the author, talks about you know kingdom principles. Um, how to apply kingdom principles? Now, see, I I have an objection to construing Christianity that way from the very beginning. The kingdom is not principles. Uh, it's not law. It's not rule. It's presence of Jesus. Right, which is what government and, is. And um, so so. Who gets to determine what principles we carry forward? If you're going to say, okay, well, let's go Old Testament theocracy, how, what basis then are we, are we saying, okay, what, what's the template? How, how slaves are treated? How, um, I mean, do you, are you just cherry picking the parts of the template that you want to carry forward? Which you but, would. Well, I you'd mean, have what, to. Yeah. You'd have to because you have ceremonial law built yeah. in there. You have civil law built in there and so it's just i I just don't i just don't think it's it's uh, a good move uh to construe it that way this and the and the the self-help part of christianity that's just about here here christian principles for marriage or business i think that is a bunch of horse baloney that's only that's just new legalism and um, apart from the presence of Christ in the midst, are just other good, or just like any other set of rules and principles, from any other basis, uh, we're not proclaiming principles. And, and she's not saying we are, but but I I, I just want to I don't like the idea that that the, our goal is to propagate Christian principles. Our right. goal is to cross, uh, po- postulate. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Our goal is to populate the world with Christian people. That sounds like a, like a prostate exam. You know, it's getting close, man. Have you gotten prostulated lately? I have not gotten prostulated, <laughs> but it's coming. Um, so anyway, there's a, there's that, a segue. Let me segue us okay, with a question. The um, to where I think you're going, but I don't know because I'm not inside your head. Don't but be. the um, oh, I lost it. Never mind. There's you, a lot of thoughts you of segue yourself. Pecans. Uh, no, I won it. I lost it. 
I started Don't. thinking about postulating and prostate exams, and I, <laughs> I lost my I lost my way. All right. Well, this <laughs> I think there's a little bit of a connection to a book I'm reading called um, "Taking America Back for God." All right. So yeah, hello. <laughs> uh, it, it's by Samuel Perry and Andrew Whitehead, okay. and um, it's 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 Perry is a um, professor of soci- sociology and religion at the University of Oklahoma, all right? And I follow him on, on the tweets, and he he launched into a Twitter thread that's kind of a summary of some of the work he's done in his book. And it was how top 10 indicators you're seeing a Christian nationalist in the wild. Okay. Top 10 indicators that you're seeing Christian nationalism. All right. And I thought these were so interesting. And, um, and I want to really be clear that Ellen's, um, a question and that conversation is totally separate from this one, except right. for one point, which is about how America sees Israel and how much of America sees America in Israel. <laughs> but that's it. Like, I like, don't read anything into that. But I, but I thought, oh my goodness, I thought we'd go over this list just a little bit yes, and compare it to the Sermon on the Mount. All right. So uh, this is from Samuel Perry's um, Twitter. Uh, this was a thread and uh, it's from his book, Taking America Back for God. We, we need to get them on the podcast. I think that'd be super interesting. Yeah. But, but a lot of these... Uh, um, I can be guilty of. And so this isn't about somebody else. This is just about our churches and our communities and what how we see things. All right. So top top ten indicators, I feel like David Letterman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number one. Does that make me Paul? Because I can't stand Paul. Oh, I'm sorry. No, of course. You're you're Tim. <laughs> okay. There are no Tims in late night. We need some. <laughs> Us versus them thinking. He says, this is a dead giveaway if a professing Christian clearly sees non-Christians as enemies to be defeated, controlled, or kept separate rather than served, loved, befriended. They are thinking as a Christian Christian nationalist culture warrior. The idea of dying for the unworthy is repellent. Hmm. And and I gotta gotta say, I I so resonate with that. The problem is, of course, that I do us versus them thinking when it comes to the people who think this. Yes. So it's so tricky um, and insidiously difficult to uh, not demonize the enemies who are demonizing the enemies. You know oh, what I mean? It's yes. like, I remember, uh, my, I remember my question now, but we'll do it at the end. Oh, write it down. I did. I just wrote it. I got it. Okay. 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 That's a, quite a buildup. I hope. It's going to be earth shattering, everyone. <laughs> Gird your loins. <laughs> So the Sermon on the Mount, you can you can simply not follow Jesus and have any permission to demonize uh, or dehumanize anybody else and call that Christian. Now, we can call that something else, but that's not Christian. Um, I mean, we just, I mean, even, and that's where I, I disagree with some of my progressive friends, because they're just, I know, the, the self-rightness... <laughs> is just as and and the and the and the purity culture 
and the man there's a new orthodoxy that unless you subscribe to it fully formed uh buddy be careful and i just see so i, I don't know i don't i shouldn't say so many but i see some parallels between the fundamentalist culture that i was raised in with the new fundamentalist culture that's just built around a different conception of justice and, and it's still but the demonic part of it it's still us versus them hmm. Um, and Jesus, I mean, my goodness, if we learned one thing from the sermon, you cannot, you cannot, um, if you're going to follow Jesus, I mean, I mean, Jesus even says this, if, 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 um, if you, anyone claims to love me, but hates his brother or sister, he, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. Okay. Well, that's about as clear as you can go. Now that doesn't mean we don't feel these feelings. Right. But it means that we, that a we don't label that Christian, yeah. and then b that we're under constant renovation mm-hmm. between the spirit, the 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 scriptures, and the community. Constant of, renovation. I like that. I think that's that's a key idea. You're you're a key idea, Timothy. Well, re- the word renovation is from D. Willie, so <sighs> renovation of the heart. There he is. You can't escape him. Uh, secondly. Culture versus person. When a Christian talks about the, quote, Christianity people need, does it sound like they're talking about a culture, values, morals, worldviews, and behaviors, or a person, Jesus? Mm. Christian nationalism isn't about folks meeting Jesus. It's about white conservative values being dominant. Whole, and that I think that's what I was getting to about the whole principles thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If everyone just followed Christian principles, our country would be better. Right. Well, that's true and that's false. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, I mean, certainly if uh, we all work to put aside anger, yes. Yeah. If we uh, all just agree to that. Would be better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just let's start there. Everybody let's... sign this form that you're not going to do X, Y, and Z and we'll all be good because we right. know that nobody will go against the form they signed. Exactly. Because we can legislate that. Right. So, so I, but, but I think this is super important. Christian for a lot of people does not mean fidelity to the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Christian means adherence to certain ways of seeing the world, Hmm. um, that lead to certain patterns and behaviors. I think that is, that is absolutely critical. Thirdly, contempt for the cross. Christians don't take up their cross in Christian nationalism. Because real Christians don't lo- don't lose in this life, they win. And laying down one's rights for one's enemies is like surrendering. It's an American. It's for losers. Boom, boom. And this was one of the best. One of the best things. I was watching the National Prayer Breakfast, like you know, two or three years ago, and this guy got up and preached on Sermon on the Mount. And our president at the time, he who must not be named. <laughs> came came in <laughs> and said i don't know if i agree with that <laughs> oh boy and it was brilliant that oh, oh it was brilliant you know i was just like well yeah of course cuz christian isn't doesn't require surrender christian doesn't require losing i mean how can you be a fan of winning and root for jesus of nazareth right i mean come on so that's what he means by contempt for the cross, that 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 <laughs> that we've always got to win and dominate and whatever else. Oh, so yeah, that's so from crazy. the Bible, huh? Yeah, I, I don't think I agree with that. 
Now, here was the one that I thought of with Ella, with uh, with Ellen's reference to that book. Number four on top indicators, Old Testament Israel equals American Christians. He says, if a Christian's telling you how Jesus' fo- followers should live as Americans, and their theological paradigm is how Israel was instructed to live in Canaan, you've got Christian nationalism, ethnic conquest, blood and cultural purity, theocracy, not New Testament Christianity. Bam. National righteousness, number five, equals purity. If someone's operating with Old Testament Israel in Canaan as their paradigm, they'll be very concerned with America's faithfulness, quotes, which boils down to religious and sexual purity, not justice, fairness, etc. Oh, so good. Number six, and this goes, goes with the other two, America equals central to God's plans. Yep. <laughs> Even if they warn God will withdraw his hand from America for impurity, they still believe God has a special relationship with the USA because we're founded on biblical principles, etc. Thus, it's always America first and God wants it that way. Yeah. Right. Which, that one, I, I really don't know how, with a straight face, anyone can say America first and um, have ever opened up a teaching of Jesus. Um there and and Gombas has put such great words to this, but there we see the self expenditure of the privileged for the sake of the non privileged. You know, I mean, the do you remember that of- I was in traffic and I sent you and uh, Kevin number one a picture of that truck that was in front of it, the bumper stickers. Yes, yes. And it had first it had the Jesus fish, but the inside of the Jesus fish was the flag. Like the, and then it had stickers, and one of the stickers was, "Heaven has a wall, a gate, and a strict immigration policy. Hell has open borders." Obviously, a commentary on <laughs> the country using, right? And, and there was other ones. There was a few other stickers on it, but the, I mean, it was exactly that. It was the this America first mentality shoehorned into that's right scripture into uh, Jesus uh, Jesus fish. <laughs> Number seven, and now we're getting, now we're, if we haven't, well, I'm just reading it. (laughs) If he hasn't offended everybody by now, this one will certainly do it. (laughs) Number seven is the embracing of a culture of death. Uh, And what he means is instead of a culture of life. Hmm. This one's tricky because Christian nationalists will be strongly anti-abortion. But they will also be pro-guns, pro-military, pro-death penalty, anti-mask, anti-precautions, anti-healthcare for the poor. The abortion stance is authoritarianism, not concerned for the vulnerable. Oh, snap. And I, I do see this one. And, and we were talking, um, I don't remember who it was with, but the idea that pro-life gets so much rhetoric, but when you really, when you, when, when CPAC was surveyed, it was last on the list of priorities. Yeah. That it's just a rhetorical power move. Oh, oh, you're not with us. You're a baby killer. Okay, yeah. it's a very nuanced conversation. I was actually having this with with my wife last night too. Because you I, guys have really good conversations. We try to. It's been, that my wife the, is usually like, just trying to hide the ice cream. <laughs> we mean, do this. We do much. this over ice cream. Oh, but evil. man, the the complexity of that whole conversation and we've had that in multiple parts on here with like 
when we had Phil on from Holy Post talking about the, his abortion video and the statistics and how abortion has declined with uh, rights and that kind of stuff. And is it only about rhetoric or is it actually about right. curbing, uh, like saving lives? Right. Like what, and if, right. if so, then why can't we have a more nuanced conversation about it? Cause it's. Yeah. We've been in power. How come we haven't made progress? Exactly. So it's an, it's, yeah. it's, it's such a weird, that whole thing yep. is so weird. I don't engage it anymore at all. No, but. it's become a, it's become a shibboleth. If you're not familiar with that old Testament story, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's a picture of all I have to say is I'm pro-life and then all of this gets assumed to me. Yeah. Um, regardless of whether or not it's true. And then if I say I'm not pro-life, then all, conversely, all this other stuff gets imported to me instantly. Yeah. No room for growing, no room for nuance, no room for, hey, can't we care for the moms too? Uh, you know, so on, so on, so on. We've talked a lot about that on the podcast. And, and and going with that is number eight, selective Bible quoting. Hey, yo. <laughs> One of Dan Kimball's yeah. four, four commandments yep. of how not to read the Bible. Yep. Yeah, it'll all be... So, so uh, Christian nationalists love quoting Romans 13, submitting to authority, except... That's a big one. Except when Biden's breakfast. in charge. Right. Except when <laughs> and Biden's the authority. Um, patriarchy... Love the patriarchy. So they'll quote social co codes that were applied to the church as if they applied to nuclear American households. Hmm. And then stuff about forgiveness and judging only when their leaders are immoral idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, this one kills me. Lack of concern for the witness of, of, of Jesus to the world. Um, this goes back to us versus them. When they, the infidels, the non-whites, are the enemy, who cares what they think? Of course they'll hate you. That's a sign you're doing it right. Hmm. Uh, so you hate them back, screw them, better to dominate them, and it really doesn't matter what they think. Yep. So as opposed to Paul saying, hey, even, even in the lowest social position, slave, do your best to make the gospel attractive. Why would you sue each other in secular courts, he says to the Corinthians. You're already bringing shame on the name of Jesus. You will judge angels for crying out loud. Arbitrate among yourselves. You know what I mean? Like there was this deep impulse to present Jesus in ways that couldn't be culturally bound. And, um, and by bound, I mean like misconstrued. And there just is no, just no concern for that. And then lastly, conspiratorial victim mindset. When your whole reality is culture war, us versus them, you must constantly be vigilant um, because everyone in power, media scientists, non-Christian nationalist politicians are lying and out to get you. So everything is a conspiracy and everyone is screwing you over. And I, I, I read this list and first of all, I have been guilty of many. Right, I, I engage in us versus them thinking. I, I think pre-critically, I thought there was something unique about America and its chosenness. Yeah, we're taught, um, we're taught that, that 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 you know, in my mega church days, there was lots of talk of how great Christian principles were, um, and and that I mean the the big the big thing I I was taught 
in dispensational land was that that America was central to God's end times Absolutely. plans, and that's and her relationship to Israel was central. Yeah, Kirk to God's ability host. to fulfill. Yes, <laughs> um, I mean, and and so. I mean, I'm look, selective Bible quoting. Oh, of course, absolutely. Uh, lack of concern for witness. So, so but here's why. Here's why I want to bring this up. Um, Ellen rightly says that one pitfall of of just taking the Sermon on the Mount as an individual and or communal, better a communal sort of mandate is to is like we said before, not being involved or engaged in the world around us, not seeking to impact other spheres true but what's morphed um in in either because of or in light of or in contrast to that error has been something that that not only seems equally damaging but far more pernicious um and it's what was represented on the back of the truck it's the i love god and guns it's the it, it, there is a deep an embedded thread and i'm seeing this our church in tennessee is losing people is we're losing people because we're addressing we're trying to talk about race and we're trying to talk about politics in nonpartisan ways right but it's just like you can't like there's no there's nothing you can't get near this stuff without hating america or being a liberal or whatever it is and 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 i'm just i i, I sit i i i think if this isn't the fruit of the rotten vine of some parts of American evangelicalism, or more than some parts, I don't know, um, of which, like you said earlier, we both benefited from and contributed to. Yeah, I don't know how else to make the case. I mean this this is a false gospel. This is this is a heresy, not only because of its false beliefs, but the way in which it causes people to treat other people. And the fact that people that we hear from pastors who cannot talk about this right. without people leaving or, or or I mean I just I just heard about another pastor who who was run out of his church for the freaking sake of masks. Yep. Um. I mean we are we are we <laughs> we we've always wanted to blame the LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus community. We've wanted to blame the feminists or the abortionists or those secular rock musicians, but the the rotten fruit is just dead on our door. You know what I mean? This and and um, to to engage with people who are deep into this without becoming an us versus them person. The only way I know to do that is by you just uphold the beauty and majesty of Jesus. It's what we did in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why so many people thought it was great. It wasn't because I was great. It's because Jesus is freaking so incredible. You know what I mean? Yes. We're not great. This is him. And he's so brilliant. But but that just that setting that out there is enough to call into question this whole list. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're not gonna go away from this. Whatever nope. the future. We, what we've what we have decided as a um, a team is, is that this this isn't going to go away and and uh, in our world and it it poses a grave threat to allegiance to Jesus 
and uh, his witness to the world. Yeah. And, and, and now that people are willing to use violence and have been, right? This goes back to the clan, uh, if not before, um, means that we have to take public, divisive uh, stands against this um, and, and while still loving and welcoming all the nuance and dialogue around it. You know what I mean? Yep. But, but, you know, constant, I mean, renovation. We, we were, <laughs> so I, I, here's my question and I'm going to change it now a little bit, but, and some of this is rhetorical, but when I think about, um, this idea, the seven mountain mandate and everything that we just, you just went through about taking, retaking, um, public spaces and all that kind of stuff in the name of Christianity with the, with some of this stuff that we've been talking about for the last couple of episodes. My, my question has to do with how you define Christian and how you define Christianity, right? So we have Come such on. a fractured theology, right? We have Lutherans and Protestants and uh, Presbyterian, like we're just, we're so fractured in our belief system. Everyone believes that their, their current, their faith that they attend that they're a part of is the correct version of what Jesus brought. But they're all different enough that the way that we would approach taking a public space up would be different. It would be totally, it would manifest itself totally different. So even the idea of Christian taking these positions or these platforms, you can't, we can't even define what that would be because we're not even a, we're not even a unified Yeah. people. And then you take that one step further past the fractured theology and take it into the racial diversity of our faith. What a black man or a black woman has experienced as a Christian in this nation alone is dramatically different than what I have experienced. So when we talk about the slave comment and how, um, uh, how to, you know, I can't remember exactly what you said, so I don't want to butcher it. But the fact that we as a Christian nation put together a slave Bible, right? And just selected the verses that said, here's (laughs) slaves obey your masters. And just to keep like, we want slaves to find Jesus. Of course, we're Christians, but we do not want them to try to break the social structures that we've set up. So we will rewrite the friggin' Bible (laughs) so that they think and know that they are less than and will stay in their lane. That is a fractured theology that's fairly recent in our Christian American history, what a black man or a black woman, the way that they, and I'm not speaking for them because I don't know, their history is so violently different than mine that their theology is, like that has to be taken into account. So this fractured or the, you know, Asian diasporic, like everybody has, we're so varied and our histories are so different and so violent and so many people have been suppressed in the name of Jesus, building a Christian theology to run a country or a business or anything on, that's not, there's no, that doesn't, you can't, there's no, there's no blueprint for that. You can't, it literally can't happen. Like it's literally something that can't happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's so interesting. Uh, And one of the best pushbacks in 2015, when we were doing the Make America Great Again, um, I was seeing some Anabaptists go, okay, which America are we going to make great? Yeah, exactly. Where women couldn't vote, where where we own slaves, yeah. where we enshrined the, the, the non-personhood of slaves into our constitution, 
I mean, which America is going great? The one that that pillaged uh, Indians? I mean, what? Right. Native yep. Americans, excuse me? Yep. And I and that's exactly the point you're making. Yep. So not only not only do you have a problem defining Christian, but then you have a problem defining America. Yep. Right? What where was the ideal? I mean, cuz it seems like to the to the um, you know, the the Christian masculine ideal was in the 50s, baby. Yeah. That's that was what we're trying to get back to. That was the golden era. Enough of the enough of these beta males for crying out loud. <laughs> so, it's such a hard balance to engage charitably and to still engage and uh and to and to do it in, in a way that doesn't just become critique uh over and over and over again. I mean, cuz I read that list and I see it. I see it in my family. Yeah. I see it. I see it in our churches. I see it personally in conversations I'm having. And um and and this is uh this this is a big deal. January sixth was for me um what September eleventh was mm. culturally. What September eleventh was was my world changed that day. And January sixth for me was a similar but not as traumatic invitation to see the world differently. And so instead of contending for Christian principles in business, I want to contend for Jesus in the church. Uh, cause he's, cause we're just not, we're not seeing him there. Yeah. Um, and, and the only definition uh, of of Christian that means anything is it's got to be Jesus shaped. Yeah, I mean we th- it just doesn't work. And you look at the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like he's literally just kind of saying that over and over again. Like <laughs> these structures <laughs> don't work. Here's what right. it, it is to be a follower of mine, and it's all the communal conversation, and none of it is like this domineering. And he just keeps turning that over and over again. Like, you don't get it still one more time. You don't get it still one more time to make it as kind of simple, <laughs> the most simple conversation possible. Yeah. Drives me nuts. So anyway, as we go forward as a little uh, community and as a church, um, you know, and as as Christian communities kind of all over the, uh, the world, um, I, I think, at least in the West, we have to wrestle through this. And what we can't do is just write people off. Um, we can't just dismiss them. We can't just, right? I mean, you just, you can't. We So so to me, there's some undiscipling that has to go on and some rediscipling that has to go on. And so I'm, I'm, you know, very much, I mean, interested only in that which furthers the beauty of the person of Jesus. Yeah. Um, and uh, yep. Loads of questions about other things, loads of opinions about other things, but until the the project embraces the person of Jesus in all of his Jewishness and all of his particularity and all of his glory and grandeur, um, we're 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 just going to be fruitless in addressing the symptoms, you know. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know. I have great, I have a great deal of hope as we've said many times on the podcast, because this sort of big deconstruction and exposing of what Christianity is, um, man, it is a, it is a brutal splash of water in the face uh, to those you're of us seeing, who labored. You're seeing that renovation. You're seeing, and you have these great voices who are 
bringing great new perspectives for us to hear and see and to open up the conversation and that's yeah. happening on grand levels like Beth Moore and it's happening on smaller levels and daily conversations and like Tim and his wife. That's right. What we we're that's solving right. the world around the dinner table. I love it. That's what dinner tables are for. <laughs> um, Ellen, I hope we've represented you well. Um, I just, I, I don't know. I feel super sensitive about that. And so, um, just cause you were so gracious with us. I want to make sure you feel the same way. Um, if you're listening and you have, if you want to talk about one of these 10 or you disagree, would love your thoughts because this for us really is meant to be a conversation. Yeah. Um, but I just thought this was a fascinating list and a distilling of lots of different threads um, I've seen. And, and if you want to read the book, um, I'm, I'm just starting it. So... I can only give you a recommendation of the tweet thread, which was, I thought, really interesting. And then um, the way they frame what Christian nationalism is, is really interesting to me, too. Because they, they say it's not Christian nationalism, it's Christian nationism. Ooh. It's, it's the idea that there can exist a Christian nation. And um, <laughs> yes, oh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And if you want to read more, we started the Sermon on the Mount by referencing Lee Camp's book, Scandalous Witness. Right. Um, he presents an Anabaptist. And so, uh, so I'm channeling particularly the, 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 sir, or the podcast we did that was called Neither Right Nor Left Nor Religious. That was actually a chapter title from his book that we riffed on for a while. Uh, but that's a great book if you're curious about how you can conceive of America and Christianity in kind of different ways. So encourage you to check all that out. And, and, and as always, call BS wherever you see it. Because um, a buddy of mine just said, yeah, I, I figure I'm wrong at least 20% of the time. The problem is I don't know the 20%. <laughs> and so I, I resonate. But it's a good way it's to probably... hold, yourself in, uh, hold yourself in that way and know that, you know, Yep. That you could be wrong on anything and be willing to oh, say. Oh, I have no doubt. Yeah. I have no doubt. But my goodness, am I thankful for fun um, conversation partners. Yeah. Of which you and people like Ellen and this community are just, I, I love this. So yeah. anyway, friends, bless you. Thank you. Um, like, you know, rate, subscribe, share. All of those things are super, super helpful. Uh, to They're the also harmful. That, they're heartful too. I had trouble with English today. <laughs> anyway, until next time, friends. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.